Oh, Father in heaven, we are here tonight. We're asking that you would pour out your spirit upon each person here, that we may hear your voice, and not just hear your voice, Lord, but that we would respond to your call. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I know some of you may have brought your Bibles this evening. At least I hope you did, and if you didn't, maybe you have your Bible on your phone. We're going to be looking for a few moments here at Mark chapter 13. Jesus, the context here, is that Jesus is talking to his disciples about what the future is holds, what the future holds. It says that in verse uh, 1 of chapter 13 that he went out from the temple and one of his disciples said unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And then Jesus privately began, when he got to the Mount of Olives, he privately began to explain to his disciples the end of the story. And whether or not you know it, this evening we are living in the time of the end of the story. And so we read this with great interest. We read this, what Jesus was saying here with great interest because Jesus was talking not just to his disciples, he's talking to us today because we are living actually the end of the story. He says something interesting here in verse 24 of chapter 13 of Mark. He says, but in those days after that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. Let me ask you a question tonight. Has this happened? Okay, so we're, we're now entering the stream of time. We find ourselves living in a time when prophecy is not something in the future, but it's something that has already been fulfilled. Is that true? So the sun has been darkened. The, uh, the, the, the moon would not give her light. And verse 25, the stars of heaven shall fall and the powers that are in the heaven shall be shaken. Has this happened? Okay, so again, we're talking now about a part of the scripture that we recognize it didn't happen in my day. It happened actually before I was born. So that means if we're marking time, it happened now. And then I come on the scene. I'm living after these prophecies have all been fulfilled. Verse 26. The next verse. And then shall they see the Son of Man in the clouds, coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Now this is what? This is the next verse. This is the next verse. And verse 27, then he shall send his angels and shall gather together his elect from the four winds from the uttermost parts of the earth and from the uttermost parts of heaven. Verse 28, and now learn a parable of the fig tree. And so Jesus now begins to emphasize what he just said by telling a couple of parables. So he tells the parable of the fig tree and he says here, when you see the fig tree and its branches yet tender and it putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is where? Summer is near. So, verse 29, in like manner, when ye shall see these things come to pass, know that it is nigh even at the, the doors. 
Verse 30, Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be done. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. And then he goes to give this little warning. He says, but of that day and hour, what? Knoweth no man. No, not the angels that are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Verse 33, so he says, I'm telling you, when you see these things happen, you should know that it is near, even at the door. And then he tells this little parable, and then he says, but take heed, watch, and pray, for you know not when the time is. So Jesus here is saying something very interesting. He says, you can know when the time is near, but you're not going to know when the time is. Well, for me, I'm looking at the clock. I'm thinking, it's getting close to, let's just say it's getting close to noon, 12 o'clock. I watch the clock and I see the hands moving around. I can see that we're getting close to 12 o'clock and I know how long it is until 12 o'clock because the, the hand keeps moving. And I say, what's two minutes to 12? It's one minute to 12. It's 30 seconds to 12. And I can gauge how long it is. But Jesus said, gives us a little warning here. He says, you're going to know that it's near, but you're not going to know the exact time. He says, your job is to watch and to pray. Watch and pray. That sounds pretty simple. I keep my eyes open. I stay on my knees. I'm good to go, right? Well, we should read the next verse. Verse 34 at this point. Verse 34. For the Son of Man... Now Jesus tells another little short one-sentence parable here. He has clued his disciple that there's some danger ahead. You're going to know when it's near, but you're not going to know the exact time. I want you to be on the alert. I want you to watch and pray. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a, what? A far journey who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work and commanded the porter to watch. Now let's review here what we've learned so far. Jesus said in verse 33, take heed, watch and do what? Pray. And in verse 34, he says, I want you to not only watch and pray, I want you to know that I'm going to a far country. It is going to be some time before I return. And I want you to watch and pray while I'm gone, but I don't want you to stop by watching and praying. I want you to work. Because he says he has given to every man his work. Now let me ask you what every means. Does every mean every or does every mean only some? If you are within the hearing of my voice tonight and you can understand what I am saying, then you are included in this idea that God has given to every man his work. I am included in that idea that God has given to every man his work. This is part of what Jesus is saying to his disciples. He says, I, yes, I want you to watch and I want you to pray, but I also want you to, to work. There is something for us to do. 
There is something that God has given us, not just corporately, for surely he did that. In the Great Commission, he told his disciples, he says, I'm on my way, and I'm going to give you this Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, go ye therefore, and do what? Teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and that commission is for God's family, for his church and for us individually. God has given to us a work to do. God has not left us wondering what we should do. He has given to us a specific and certain work to do. I'm, I'm thinking that this is not the only place in Scripture where we find this. Um, Jesus was talking to his disciples, and he told them another parable. Actually, he, in Matthew chapter 20, you find this parable that Jesus is sharing with his disciples. And he tells them the story about the vineyard owner who went to get some workers for his vineyard. And he went down to the place where the workers were hanging out and he said, Hey, it's six o'clock in the morning. I need a few workers. Some of the guys said, Yeah, we'll go. And later he comes back and he finds some more workers. And he keeps coming back and finding more workers. And finally, he comes back at the 11th hour, which is, uh, according to the way they reckon time at that point, it is one hour before the end of the day. It's the last little bit of time that workday is going to be complete, and then you're off. Then you're done. And he comes back at the 11th hour, and he finds these guys standing around, and he says, what are you doing here? And their response was, no one hired us. And his response was, go to my vineyard and, and go to work. I would suggest to you tonight that we are living in the 11th hour of this story and God is still calling for workers to enter the vineyard. Maybe we're living past the 11th hour. Maybe we're living closer to the 12th hour. Maybe we're living in the last few moments, as it were, of earth's history, and Jesus is still calling for workers to enter his vineyard. Until you take your last breath, until Jesus comes, there is a work for every man to do. There is a work allocated that cannot be shifted to another. What God has called you to do, no other man can do. What God has called you to do, no other woman can do. Because God is very specific in his calling. Did you know that God knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb? That's what the Bible says. We find recorded in Scripture, certain individuals found out the fact that he had called them before they were born to do a certain work. And I believe that that is not a story that is without significance to my own life because I believe that God has called every single one of us before we were even born. God knew who we were. He knew what he fashioned in the womb and he knew that he had a certain job for us to do and he has called us to do that work. Our, our theme for these two years has been what? Called, chosen, and committed to every man has been given his work to do. Now we find some other interesting stories in the Bible. For instance, we could review the story of Jonah. Now Jonah had a call, right? God said, I want you to go to a certain city called Nineveh. I want you to preach there to those people. 
that the end of their city is near. In fact, they have how many? Forty days, and, and then Nineveh will be destroyed. Now, Jonah had a better idea than God, and he said, um, hmm, I think I'll go the other direction. I wonder if any of us have ever tried to escape from the work that God has called us to do specifically. Jonah tried it, didn't turn out too well. I don't advise it. Okay, if you want to know my recommendation, I don't advise Jonah's approach. I advise that we should cooperate with God's calling instead of rebelling against God's calling. I think of another individual, uh, Elijah. He was called by God to go to Ahab and to tell him it's not going to rain in Israel until I say so. Well, finally, after three and a half years, the, the attention of the people had been sufficiently gotten interested in actually getting some rain that they said, uh, maybe we should do something. And God sent Elijah to the top of Mount Carmel, and he, a great victory was won for God there. He preached a sermon, and thousands of people were converted. And the, the, the priest of Baal, who had led the people astray, and were destroyed. And it was a great victory for the cause of God. And he led the king back to the palace. And he laid down there, and a messenger came, and he became afraid. If you read the story in Spirit of Prophecy, it says that he became fearful. His human nature was tired. He was worn out. And his human nature just kind of took over. And he became afraid of what might happen there that night. And it, but it says there also that if Elijah had stayed, that there would have been a victory, that God would have brought judgment upon Jezebel, and there would have been this amazing victory. But he didn't. He became, he became afraid. He began to run, and he didn't run just a little bit. It says that he ran and, until he got so weary the angels had to feed him, and they fed him some really good stuff because after that he ran for 40 days. And he came to the mountain and he got alone there with God in the mountain. And God asked him a question in the mountain. And the question that he asked Elijah in the mountain, I think, is the same question he may be asking some of us tonight. What doest thou here? God had sent Elijah on a mission. He hadn't sent him on a mission to this depart, departed point. He had sent him on a mission. He expected him to stay engaged in his mission. Elijah became weary, abandoned his mission, and began to run. And God asked him this simple question. What doest thou here? And tonight, if I don't miss my mark, some of us are being asked that same question by God. What are we doing? Review and Herald, 1893, December 12. This is what it says. To everyone has... To, to everyone, work has been allotted. And no one can substitute for another. Now, I have noticed that I like to get people to do my work. I don't know about you, uh, but sometimes it, it's kind of, 
it kind of makes things easier when I can find somebody else to do the job, especially if it's a tough one, especially if it's a hard one. I would like to find somebody else that can do it. And I might even say, listen, I will pay you to do this work for me. Especially if it's a hot, sweaty job and it's a hot day, I might say, hey, listen, yeah, I'll give you 20 bucks if you'll do this work for me, if you want, whatever it is, you know. God does not allow us to have someone else do our work for us. We cannot even hire people to do our work for us. I've heard some people say, I'm going to stay at home and I'm going to just support people to do the work. It's a good idea, but it is not a, an option if God is calling you personally. Now, for some folks, he may call them to sit at home and support things. And that's wonderful. But what I read here, it says that no one can be a substitute for what God has called me to do. And no one can be a substitute for what God has called you to do. Each one, goes on to say, each one has a mission of wonderful importance. Mm, wonderful importance. God has something important for every single person on planet Earth to do. No one is excluded. The child in its early years has a work to do for God. Those who are older, some are even what we would call elderly, still have a work to do for God. Five Testimonies, page 462, says this. God never designed that the lay members of the church should be excused from labor in his cause. Now, the reason I am saying that is because some of us would say, listen, you don't have to worry. We've got a great preacher at our church and he works really hard. I mean, we pay the guy. Think about this. We pay him. He is the one who takes care of pretty much everything. And, and he works hard and, and we're happy. We can sit in the pew. He will go out and give the Bible studies. He will go out and take care of these things. And, and isn't that the way it's supposed to work? <coughs> According to what I read here, the answer to that is no. If the church members do not individually take hold of this work, then they show that they have no living connection with God. If the church members do not individually take hold of this work, then they show that they have how much? No living connection with God. Their names are registered as slothful servants. She goes on to ask the question, can you discern the reason why there is no more spirituality in our churches? Question mark. And then she answers her own question by saying, it is because you are not co-laborers with Christ. 
That's a wake-up call. We wonder, why is it that our church is struggling spiritually? Why don't we have more you know, things going on here? It's because we have chosen individually not to take hold of the work God has given us to do. Instead, we have, um, we've been registered as slothful servants. We, Kyle used this quote earlier this evening. And this is, uh, this is one of my favorites because it gives us as lay people our marching orders. It says that the work of God on this earth can never be finished until men and women, that's us, that's the laity comprising the church membership, rally to the work and unite their efforts with those of the ministers and church officers. If that's not a rallying call to help finish God's work, I don't know what would be. It says that the work will what? Never be finished. Let me ask you a question tonight. Are you interested in seeing Jesus come? How many of you tonight want to be alive when Jesus comes? Can't happen won't happen, according to this statement, until we engage as lay people, the men and women who are members of the church, and not just kind of wander in and say, well, I know I'm a little late today, but I'm here. I know I don't, not really with it, I don't have as much energy as maybe I should have today, but I'm here, and I'm going to help out. And our steps are slow, and our thinking is maybe confused. This statement says we've got to rally to the work. Now, what happens when you rally to something? Let me ask that question. Is that something where it just kind of moves along slowly? No, to me what it's saying is, Listen, we've got to get going on this thing. We've got to make some progress here, and we've got to make it quickly. Some of you probably have watched a game or two of some kind of sport thing, a basketball game or a football game or something. You say, boy, my team, they had a rally right down near the end. The clock was two seconds to quit in time, and they made two touchdowns in two seconds or whatever happened. That's rallying, right? Well, it's time for us to rally to the work. It's time for us to do something that God has already been calling us to do, but to do it in a different way and with a different level of energy and with a different level of passion and individually to do things for God that might even be hard. They might even require self-sacrifice. They might even drain our bank account. They might even drain our energy. They might even be dangerous. But God is calling us. And he's calling us individually, so I cannot stand here tonight and tell you what to do. I cannot give you your marching orders because there's only one person in charge of what you should do, and that should be God. And if somebody else tries to tell you what your marching orders are, you should say, excuse me, let me ask God about that. Because God knows the answer. The problem is that sometimes we are not listening or we don't want to listen to what God is asking us to do because we have our own plans. 
The work of God needs men and women who have some faith, men and women who have some courage. You can read through the Bible. I've been reading in the, in, in the book of Joshua, and I am empowered when I read about Joshua because it's, it gives Joshua instructions. God came down, he says, just have courage and, and, and be strong because you're going to take the land and the, I'm going to drive the people out before you. And, and God is in charge. And Joshua, with the courage and faith that God has imparted to him, he steps forward. And when it's time to cross the Jordan River and the, the floodwaters are raging, he commands the priest, he says, I want you to get started. We're going to follow you. And God is going to open the way before us as we go. Get, but we've got to get started. And the priests put the ark on their shoulders and they began to walk forward. And they get to the edge of the water and the water's still there. And they step into the water. And when they step into the water, then God does something. Have you ever had that experience in your life? Where God has called you to do something, you think, this is impossible, I can't do this. Look, there's a big river here, God, think about this. You've got you to imagine my circumstances, God, I can't get across the river. And he's yet urging you to go forward. That is an act of faith. That's what God is calling us to. He's calling us to, to acts of faith in this generation. I believe that if we're reading there in Mark, and I kind of skipped over this, but I would like to go back to it for just a second. Uh, verse 30, it says, Verily I say unto you that this generation shall not pass till all these things be done. Listen, I want to be a part of this generation where it's not going to pass till all these things get done. I want to be able to, to say, yes, I was alive when Jesus came. I had the opportunity to look up with great joy and say, Lo, this is my God. I have waited for Him. Do you want to experience that? Amen. But God is waiting still for us to respond to his call. He forces no one. He calls. He chooses. But he waits for us to commit. The world tonight don't know if you've noticed this, but the world is in disarray. I haven't lived that long, but I'll tell you a little, little thing, and that is I have never personally seen as much disarray in this world as I have seen recently. I'll say recently. It just seems like things keep getting worse and worse. They don't get better and better. They get worse and worse. Nations are in turmoil. The society is so confused it doesn't even know the difference between a man and a woman anymore. I'm telling you, we're really confused. And Jesus is calling every single one of us to take the message of salvation to this confused and, and dying world and he's waiting for us to do that. I don't know if you read the recent review, but there was an article there, and I, I excerpted a couple of things. We know, these, we know these statements, but I said, yes, this is powerful. 
Desire of Ages, page 633. By giving the gospel to the world, it is in our power to what? Hasten our Lord's return. Listen, if you want Jesus to come sooner, then get to work. Yes, there's a place to watch and there's a place to pray, but there's a place to work too. And God has given us a work to do. And he's given it to us individually. I want to take you to the book of Judges for just a minute. Judges chapter 4 and 5. If you have your Bibles, uh, you should read this. It, it's, um, it's, it's a story that challenges our thinking. Um, and here's what happens. In Judges chapter 4, it begins with this amazing statement. Verse 1, and the children of Israel again did what? evil in the sight of the Lord and when Ehud was dead. So they had a king who was evidently on the right track and when he died, they did what? Evil in the sight of the Lord. Verse 2, And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, that reigned in Hazor, and the captain of whose host was Sisera, which dwelt in Hasereth of the Gentiles. So Israel had strayed from God's purposes. They had failed to follow God fully. And what happened? They got sold into the hand of Jabin. And so they cried out to God. Verse 3, they cried out to God. And they said, Lord, help us. Makes a little footnote here in verse 3. It says, they were concerned because Sisera had 900 chariots. They were facing to them an impossible situation. And they had been oppressed for 20 years. So God sends a message to Deborah, the prophetess, and he says to Deborah, go call Barak. I want him to do something for me, and I'm going to help him. Barak shows up. He says, you said what? Listen, he says to Deborah, I'm not going unless you go. Deborah says, well, I'm going but I'll tell you something, if I go, the glory is going to go to someone else besides you because you're not willing to step out in faith. The battle ensues. Barak is victorious. The battle is won. And in chapter 5, we find Deborah singing a song. It's called the Song of Deborah and Barak. Verse 2, Praise ye the Lord for the avenging of Israel. And when the people willingly offered themselves, why did God help them? What does it say here? The people did what? They willingly offered themselves. This is the first statement in this song talking about the victory. It says, God helped us because we willingly offered ourselves to do something for Him. It goes on down through this and, and she's singing about the, the things that are amazing there that have happened. And she says in verse 18, Zebulun and Naphtali were a people that jeopardized their lives unto the death in the high places of the field. She says, there's a couple of people I want to mention here who had courage for God. They were called to do something for God. And they had courage for God in the fact that they even laid their lives on the line to do what God was calling them to do. Verse 
But in verse 23, we find a sad statement recorded. It says here, in her song of victory, she mentions one thing. She says, curse ye, Miraz, said the angel of the Lord, curse ye bitterly the inhabitants thereof, because they came not to the help of the Lord and to the help of the Lord against the mighty. So there was a blessing for those who responded to God's call, and there was a what? There was a curse for those who didn't respond. Deuteronomy chapter 11, you find the story there. And, and what's being offered there is a curse or a blessing. You can go and read it. Their time is running out. We're not going to be able to read it here tonight. There's a curse or a blessing offered. If you obey, you will be blessed. If you don't respond and obey, you will be cursed. <clears throat> Unfortunately, tonight, it's possible that some of us, if they were to sing a song about this process of this great victory, we might be in the wrong category. God requires of each of the members of His church to engage in the work that He has called us to do. In Testimonies, Volume 2, page 165, it says this, It is not left with you to decide whether it is best for you to obey the call of God. What? It's not my decision? That's what it says. It is not left with you to decide whether you obey the call of God. Obedience is required. And unless you obey, you will stand on worse than neutral ground. Hmm. You need to go home. Go to your hotel room. And you need to study some of the references that are associated with this, this curse of Miraz. Ellen White mentions it almost 50 times in her writings. One little statement in the Bible is mentioned one place. She uses this as an example over and over and over again about people or individuals or church members that were unwilling to engage to respond to the call of God. God needs us in His work today. Not so much, and this is pointed out as you read and study this, not so much for the, what He wants us to do for Him, but more what He wants to do for us. The work that He has designed for us to do is not only for the salvation of other people, it is for our own salvation. And unless we engage in responding to the call of God, we could be lost over this. Honestly, we could be lost because we failed to engage in doing the work that God set before us and we became lazy because we thought, well, everything's okay, I'm pretty good. You study this out, you'll find this is pointed out over and over again. You know, the question I have for us tonight is, will we fully commit ourselves to doing God's work? Are we willing to fully and completely without reserve? Now, that's a pretty comprehensive statement, so I want you to think about it. I don't want you just to jump up and say, yeah, I'm going to do that. I want you to think about it. I want you to pray about it. Over this weekend is while we're here together. You're going to hear some stories. You're going to be challenged by people who are giving seminars and talking and speaking about the passion that they have for doing and finishing God's work. And God is going to tap you on the shoulder and He's going to give you some kind of call. I believe that. That's why we have ASI. That's why you come to ASI. 
because you want to hear what God is asking you to do. It may happen in the exhibit hall. It might happen around the dinner table. It might happen in a private conversation, but God is going to ask you to do something. And the question is, are you committed enough to do what God is calling you to do? I want to point out just a couple of things uh, that we have done in preparation for this 70th anniversary. We've had two books reprinted. One is Madison, God's Beautiful Farm, and the other one is an appeal for self-supporting laborers to enter unworked fields. We're going to give you these books. You come to the exhibit hall tonight. We have them at the ASI booth and surrounding booths there. We're going to give them to you. I challenge you to read this book. God is calling for people who will get out of their comfort zone and go to places in the earth where there's no one working. They'll drive a stake in the ground and they'll say, God, I'm here now. Show me what you want me to do. If you read this book and you can walk away and do nothing, well, then you certainly are asleep along with a whole bunch of the rest of us. God is calling. God is calling for us tonight, my friends. And he wants to use us to help finish the work. I believe personally that he wants us to do this in this generation. I, for one, want to be alive when Jesus comes. I want to be able to look up and say, yes, Lord, whatever you ask me to do, I try to do it. Surely I've made my mistakes, but I, I want to do what God wants me to do. So tonight, I want to end with this question. And it comes from the Review and Herald, October 17, 1882. It says, O must Christ, the majesty of heaven, the king of glory, bear the heavy cross and wear the thorny crown and drink the bitter cup while we recline at ease, glorify ourselves and forget the souls he died to redeem? I want you to just think about that. Jesus came here from the heavenly kingdom and he laid his life on the line. She answers this rhetorical question with this. No, let us Give while we have power. Let us do while we have strength. Let us work while it is day. Let us devote our time and our means to the service of God that we may have His approbation and receive His reward. Tonight, as you leave this place, ask God what He wants you to do. And then get down on your knees and say, God, I am willing. I may not know everything, but I'm willing. I challenge you during this weekend to be willing to do what God calls you to do and to answer yes instead of no. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.